Before I get started with the talk, we have just a couple other things to be praying for. We have, those of you that uh, do not know this, we have a group uh, headed off from the Spokane area to Egypt to do ministry there. Medical missions, uh, caring for people in communities, reaching out to refugee communities, uh, kind of going all throughout the area and uh, meeting needs. And uh, an incredible opportunity. And what I'm going to do is call forward. I think there's two, three, four people here this morning that are going on the trip. There's uh, another one that will be on the trip uh, who is not here because her kids this morning are sick. But if you can come down, Kelly and uh, Amir is up there and he's going to stay up there. But Kelly and Joy and Jeff... Um, Haley is the other one who's going and is not going to be able to be here this morning. But they are going with Awima. We're partnering with them uh, to do this missions trip over there. Uh, Awima has been doing ministry over in Egypt for a very long time and uh, has networks of opportunity with churches throughout the region. And uh, so I thought this morning, and if we can have maybe a couple, if the elders want to come forward and we can just lay hands on and pray, I didn't tell them we were doing that this morning. Uh, but if you're available and you could do that, that would be fantastic. Uh, we're just going to pray over them and ask God to bless their ministry, uh, use them in some really powerful ways. Um, and I'm super excited. I didn't find out this morning until this morning that Joy's going. And so... The fact that a youth in our community is uh, heading out to do mission ministry is uh, a really exciting thing. Let me pray for these three and just ask God to uh, bless them in this trip. God, we have been commanded to be people who are on the go, people who are committed to sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with others, committed uh, to this idea of being present with people in a powerful way. Uh, that makes them recognize maybe for the first time the reality of who Jesus is. God, I pray that the lives that are impacted by this trip, that there would be a significant ripple in Egypt and beyond. We pray for healing physically, that the medical elements of this trip would go smoothly and that all the care that is provided uh, would not only bless uh, the individuals and their families, uh, but would be really good for the whole town or community or city in which they're in. God, we pray even more than physical healing, that as they share and comfort and spend time with uh, refugees and others in states of poverty, God, we pray that you might um, give them the ability to uh, care deeply to love well, to have wisdom that only Holy Spirit can give, uh, to know what to say in each moment. We pray and know that you will give them the words to say and that you will bless those efforts. And then God, we just ask that uh, as they move and travel and go from place to place, that you would keep them safe, that you would allow the team to work well together. Uh, and that in everything that happens, that your name would be praised. That your name would become more famous and more glorious. And that there would be more and more people who recognize uh, that your kingdom has come. We pray that your will would be done on this trip as it's done in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good morning, church. Uh, I'm, uh, I have a great pleasure and a, uh, a sad thing to do today, uh, and that is our dear friends, Hope and Derek Prince, and their kids will be moving to Riverside, California, as Derek uh, begins his residency. Um, as you know, Hope's been an elder at New Community for um, f four, I think, four years now, five years? Uh, she's been here forever, so it's hard to know. She was, uh, she was here before most of us. She started coming to Newcom in 2006 when she was a college student. Um, and she met Derek. And that's a complicated story that I don't want to get to because I want to keep it. Um, but, I mean, it, it demonstrates the kind of person she is. Um, uh, and they started attending here as a family in 2012. Um, and they've grown their family, and they've grown with us, and they've been an important part of who we are. So I want to invite them to come on up, and we're going to pray for them. Uh, and we're going to do three things. Uh, we're going to do an accounting, an encouragement, and a blessing. So in the ancient world, there was often a tradition of when a member of a community would go out to partner with another community that they would give an accounting beforehand of the things that they had done. Uh, Paul often does this. He says, I'll be sending my servant, and he sends a letter ahead of time to a community. And so I want to give an accounting here publicly of all the things that you've done as we get ready to send you to this new place. So Hope has been here. Uh, her and Derek have partnered with us as a leadership team on almost every big decision that we've had over the last five years, and there's been a lot of them. You're sitting in one of them. Um, we're celebrating a month this month in which we now have a different part of that story as a church that invites everyone to the table. These have all been things that Hope and Derek have given their hearts to, their time of prayer to, um, and their encouragement to the staff. We are also a church that just got done praying for a group of folks heading to Egypt to do this incredible mission work. Hope has always kept her eyes focused on how we as a church can give to others and to lend of what we have. And she has always kept us focused on what's important outside of who we are. Um, they have been incredibly important for young families. Uh, just the other day, you don't know this, now it's gonna sound like a weird soccer story. Uh, I, was, I was at my daughter's soccer practice and I was sitting in the car doing some work and I noticed Hope walking by with strollers talking to uh, another young mom. And I could see every time that Hope opened her mouth this other woman's eyes just lit up as she was listening. And I think this is a really good picture of the kind of person that Hope is. She has guided so many of you in this space through difficult decisions and challenging times because she doesn't know how not to. She's an incredible person. And while her name seems to fit who she is, her name could also be wisdom because she's incredibly brilliant and wise about how people interact and work and move and breathe. And so we give an accounting of our friend and our, uh, our beloved leader here who's heading to a new place. Next, I want to give an encouragement. There is a temptation to say we have to go and do a thing and we will bide our time and try to get through it. And that is absolutely not who you are. Invest fully, completely, abundantly. Give everything that you have to the place that you're going, even if it's only for a time because these are the people that you are. And so be who you are in every place that you go and show the love that you've given to all of us, to all those people in Riverside. And last, we're going to do a blessing. So if I could have the elders and the staff come up, we're going to pray for you guys as we send you out.
just as they're making their way up, I wanted to say a quick thank you. Um, being a part of this community and serving this community has been an absolute honor. Um, and I want to encourage all of you. Um, you are the church. You are new community. Um, and we have something so unique here. Um, so much love and um, so many cool things that are happening within our city because of all of you and the elders and the staff um, working with that group of people. I have never encountered a group of people who um, rely on the Holy Spirit, love God, and love this community more. So thank you all for letting um, us and our family be a part of you. God, thank you for time. Thank you for a way to measure the days and weeks and months that we have with others that we love. Thank you that the time that we can count is so much smaller than the time that you have for us someday. When your reign comes in its fullness and the world is put to rights. But until that time, you have asked us to find communities, to share in the work, um, as the passage read today, to, to give to each other, to care for each other, and to see your kingdom begin to grow in the places on the outside. Thank you that for this time, you allowed us to be with Derek and Hope and their kiddos, and that you allowed us the opportunity to learn from to learn from them to grow we ask that you would bless their way as they head off into this next stage of life this next chapter we ask that you would continue to give them wisdom holy spirit that you would infuse their words and their actions jesus we ask that you would remind them that they are loved that you would extend your grace and mercy when they are challenged by new surroundings and the, that you would remind them that with every challenge there are new opportunities. Father God, we ask that you would remind them that you are the creator of all things, that from the beginning you were over the waters and that you hold everything together, that you bind everything and everyone and that miles are no metaphor for love, that you are bigger than those things. And so while we are sad that we are saying goodbye to beloved friends, we know that you take them into new places where they are needed. And so as much as it hurts, we open our hands wide and say, Lord, please take our friends and use them in the work of your kingdom in new places. We thank you for the opportunities we've had to learn and grow. And we are excited for next stages and next chapters. We love you, Lord. We are grateful for the work of your son. In spirit, we move and breathe in your steps. We lift up Derek and Hope in your incredible power. Amen. The last two things we just did, um, besides communion, which we'll be doing in a little bit, may actually be the most important things all morning. I sometimes think that 
um, in the American church or the Western church, we have things that are like more important than another thing. And the truth of the matter is the moment we just spent there together uh, as a community, I think is a pretty profound thing. And uh, I know how much um, Hope and Derek have shaped me over the years, and I am so grateful for their impact here. Um, we are wrapping up the series on the Holy Spirit this morning. And even though I'm tearing up, I'm very excited about what I'm about to share. Um, the overall goal, obviously, of this series has been to create awareness, right? To explore new and fresh understandings of the Spirit. I think uh, as a community, our desire has been uh, to more and more understand the person of the Holy Spirit, to understand the work and the movement of the Holy Spirit, and to recognize that work, be aware of that uh, in our lives. And um, over this series, there have been many things that have stood out to me, but I've continued to be captivated by the idea of Holy Spirit as breath and wind. This uh, being that animates everything that we see and gives life to everything. And uh, breath and wind, the unique thing about those forces are that they are invisible to us and yet at the same time, you see the effects of wind and breath on others or on the world around us. And so there's this unique and dynamic thing happening when Holy Spirit is breath and wind. And so I've been asking myself the question over and over again, when Holy Spirit is present, what will be noticed? What outcomes or experiences will people have? What reoccurrences will we see happen again and again if Holy Spirit is present? And that last part of the question is the one that has stuck with me recently. What occurrences will happen when the person of the Holy Spirit is present? What reoccurrences? What are the things that we should be noticing or seeing happen again and again and again. And there are some obvious answers to that question. One obvious one is fresh wind of the Spirit, meaning this idea of um, more common, unexplainable things. Things that you look at and you go, man, I, I don't know how else to explain that other than Holy Spirit. So it's moments where what seemed crazy random somehow now starts to make sense in a way that it doesn't feel all that random. That movement is one of the things that I think is obvious reoccurrence when the Spirit is around. Another would be the fruit of the Spirit. That we become more aware of the fruit of the Spirit in ourselves and in others around us. That we see more clearly all of the fruit. Meaning the love, the joy the shalom, the faithfulness, the goodness, the self-control, like all of these qualities or characteristics that Holy Spirit infuses in us, those become the things 
that we see reoccurring again and again and again. This lived obedience, so to speak. But as I've been asking myself that question, and I've been continuing to read the scriptures, and I've continued to see time and time again a reoccurrence of another thing that I never really kind of saw before or never put the pieces together. It was always there. I just never put the pieces together of this reoccurring thing happens when spirit is present. And so what I want to do this morning is look at a few examples or instances of where I see that showing up. First one is in John chapter 20. Julie used this passage last week, and this is why it stood out to me. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He's speaking this to his disciples. And then he said this, and he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit now has been imparted on the disciples, and he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. When the Spirit is present, there is something to do with forgiveness. Something. We'll look at another passage. Acts 2. So we uh, just read a little section of Acts 2. Day of Pentecost arrives. Last passage you just saw, there was breath in the Spirit. This time there's wind in the Spirit. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, after that happens, there's a multitude of people around and the disciples begin to preach to the people. At the end of that is the part where Brooke just read, which says something along these lines. And uh, therefore, this God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? What should we do with the message we just heard? What should we do with this idea that the Spirit is now present? Crazy things are happening. Uh, fire is resting on people. People are all speaking in all kinds of tongues and communicating to each other in different languages. And they say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, Holy Spirit tethered to forgiveness. You'll notice this in James 5. There's a section, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, in James 5, calling the elders to pray, asking the Spirit to show up, asking God to do something significant in the moment. And then the passage says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Where the Spirit is, forgiveness is close at hand. Where the Spirit is, forgiveness is close at hand. And so I've been wondering about this idea again and again, and there seems to be a direct link between the Holy Spirit creating, offering, um, giving forgiveness, and us somehow in a weird way participating in it. So let me read John 20, 23 again. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Do I understand totally what that means? Not a chance. 
I don't. But I do understand there's something happening with us, spirit, the other, and forgiveness together. And so what I want to do is explore that a little bit. So the book of James, chapter 5, we just looked at this a moment ago. I'll put it up there again. James seems to echo this thing. So if anyone of you is suffering, the answer or the remedy to the suffering is pray. Next. If any of you is cheerful, happy, enjoying life, the answer is pray. If any of you is sick, in the context that's not just physical sickness, that also implies emotional sickness. So if any of you are sick in any of those ways, the answer or solution to that, call the elders to pray. So all of them pray, pray, pray. The big idea behind that is, Invite Holy Spirit, right? Invite Holy Spirit. Something has to happen in our lives, and Holy Spirit is needed to be present. And then verse 15 goes into the outcomes. So here's what happens because of that. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So the first outcome of that prayer is that person, in some unique way, will be raised up. Okay? Encouraged, comforted healed, whatever way that means, they will be raised up. If they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. So the second outcome is forgiveness. And then the next part, therefore, because of that raising up and because of that forgiveness, we should confess sins one to another and pray for one another in order to be healed. Now, to confess in this context, it literally means to say the same. You've probably heard that at some point in your upbringing if you grew up in the church. Confess means to say the same. To say the same means to agree that that thing, that action, that word, that way that you were with someone is a sin, is something that is hurtful, is something that is damaging of relationships, is something that imposes something on someone else, all of that. To say the same is to just go, yes, I acknowledge that. Yes, I did that. Yes, that was not not good, not healthy, not helpful, not what I should be doing, right? That's what it means to confess. And the interesting thing is, confess there is to one another. You would assume that it would be confess to God, but again, there's this weird dynamic of confess and other, the person, and Holy Spirit. So what all is happening there, and what does that exactly look like? There's this divine human cooperative going on. And so what I want to do this morning is spend just the rest of our time only looking at application to this idea. What would it look like for us to actually live in this divine human cooperative where Holy Spirit is present with forgiveness with us? Okay, and so I want to provide a few what I'm going to call like guiding principles, bigger ideas that you can tease out in small group, you can tease out in uh, tyke time, uh, you can tease out in other areas where you're spending time with people, uh, investing in each other's lives. And so here are the kind of guiding principles. The first set of guiding principles is to the one confessing. So if you find yourself to be the one confessing sin to another, 
here are some guiding principles that may be helpful. So first is, confession is often one to the other. Okay, confession is often one to the other. Now, Robertson makes this statement. The odd tense of the Greek verb confess in this verse implies group confession rather than private confession. It is confession ones to others, not one to one other. Okay? So in this section, it's talking like maybe like a small group context. Maybe like a group of accountability friends. Maybe the guys you get together with on the weekend. Maybe... Um, ladies who are going on a walk together or whatever. There doesn't matter what kind of situation, like John was describing with Hope as she's with someone, it could be a group of people that you feel um, like you're in a space needing to confess, and it's not just one to one other person. There's some other dynamic going on. Second idea. Confession should include the one sinned against. The reason I make that is, the truth is most of us probably prefer confessing in secret. I'm going out on a limb there, but I think that's the general way we like to do it. So I did this thing, and I'm just going to, between me and God, just try to take care of business and uh, acknowledge that that happened. But when sin involves another person, it makes sense that confession would include that other person. Instead of looking for the easier way out, we actually have to lean into this a little bit. Now, you might go, well, where does it even say that that's what we have to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Matthew 5, okay, it says this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, so you've done something against your brother, Leave your gift. So if you're about to take communion and you recognize that there is someone that you've hurt and you know they have something against you, before you do that, you go and you make it right. You deal with the situation. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift or partake of communion or worship or do whatever, right? Take care of it. Well, you go, okay, but that's my situation where I've offended someone else. The reverse. If your brother or sister sins against you, you've been the one hurt, you go to him or her and tell them their fault between the two of you. Right? So it doesn't matter if you're the one doing the sinning or you're the one sinned against. There needs to be a connection between the two of you in such a way that Holy Spirit is present and something is dealt with. Okay? Third, confess at the level of impact. Here's what I mean by that. If you sin secretly, I think you can confess secretly. If you sin publicly or openly, it makes more sense to confess publicly or openly. Now, let me give you some context. If I'm in a room with five, ten people, we're hanging out, and I say something rude to my wife. I treat her inappropriately. I belittle her or say something that changes people's perspective of how amazing she is as a person. It doesn't really help her or that group 
if I then go to my wife by myself alone and go, hey, remember that thing the other night? Like, I'm sorry, you know, I'll try not to do that again. That doesn't really do much for what happened in that context. What I should do is not necessarily get up here in front of everybody and go, hey, the other night I screwed up and I talked about my wife this way and that was really mean. That's too public, maybe. But the situation probably requires that I go to those 10, the people I'm sitting with, and I go, hey, the other night I spoke disparagingly of my wife and I apologize. I cannot speak that way. Right? That would be an appropriate openness. Hopefully that makes sense. At the level that your actions impact another is the level at which there should be communal confession. Moving on. Next. Confession should be specific and thorough. So when confessing to another for hurt caused, general or unspecific confessions are not helpful. For example, if I made any mistakes, I'm sorry, is not a confession. Right? One, if... No, you can't say that. Made any mistakes, I'm sorry, definitely not a confession. Or if you just say, oh, man, I ought to be a better Christian, again, not a confession. If you sinned specifically, you confess specifically. If you hurt someone, you should name the hurt and the impact that that hurt had on someone else. Now, one of the clearest indications, I really believe, of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work is this type of confession, this type of forgiveness, this type of communal dynamic between us, God, and the other. Something unique happens in that space. And it's hard to say what I just said because I know my kids will call me out on it a bunch. They call me out on it already, which is both good and annoying, if I'm being honest. I'll do something to Shannon, and then I'll say an apology that's not really an apology, where I'm like, yeah, Shannon, I'm sorry, you know, whatever. And then they'll be, honestly, and now they're both taller than me, so it's even worse. They'll come and stand, like, over me and go, Dad, uh, that wasn't an apology. And I'll be like, no, it's fine. We're good. And they're like, no, no. No. You're not getting away with that. And then they'll stand there and wait for me to turn to my wife and say, I am sorry. This is what I did. This is how it affected you. Will you forgive me? After I do that and receive her forgiveness, then I turn to them and go, am I also forgiven? And then, yes. So, I say that knowing that I will be held accountable for it. And I say that to you because I think it's an important thing to be held accountable for. I think if the Holy Spirit is really doing work in our community, this is the kind of stuff that will become evident. This is the kind of stuff that we'll see again and again. Last one to the person confessing. Confession is often made to people before God. And this is the part of the dynamic that's a little awkward. You would think it's just to God. But the New Testament often addresses this idea of confession. And it's usually addressed to people before God. So it's not just direct. 
It's not that you're not confessing to God. It's that you're confessing your sin before others and then their assistance with you in making it right with God. There's some dynamic that's going on that I think is interesting, which I'll get to here in this next moment, with two thoughts about the one receiving the confession. If you're receiving the confession, I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. Hearing a confession carries responsibility. So there is a certain weight that you carry when someone confesses to you, okay? Um, I've had the privilege of being in ministry for over 25 years now and have had a lot of confession, not in the kind where I'm like hiding in a little closet and then someone says something and then leaves, but the kind where we're looking at each other and they're confessing something. And it's heavy because you're holding a space for someone. And it's also divine because you're holding a space with God with someone, right? That's a huge responsibility. But it's a responsibility that as followers of Jesus, we've all been given. It's not just because you have a title as a pastor or a minister or a counselor. It is true because you are a follower of Jesus. You carry the responsibility of hearing confessions. And in that moment, the responsibility you have is to be loving. The responsibility you have in that moment is to engage in prayer for the other. To listen to the Spirit and not just offer human wisdom, but offer to the best of your ability this divine wisdom. You have a responsibility to keep the confession between you, the other, and God alone. And you also have the responsibility to offer forgiveness along with the Spirit. You're in some ways like the voice piece of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit is bringing forgiveness and you are acknowledging with the person that the confession is making this connection with God in a way that they are actually released of the burden to carry that weight. That's why it carries responsibility. The last thing it carries is opportunity. Okay? Hearing a confession creates an opportunity. It creates an opportunity for vulnerability. When people confess to me, I often have the opportunity of saying, oh yeah, me too. Because so often we're the only ones that think we're the ones struggling with that. And to be able to be vulnerable with someone in that space and say, hey, me too. I understand where you're at. I also need that same forgiveness. I also ask for that same forgiveness on a regular basis is a really, really healthy thing for another person to hear. It brings a level of encouragement and support. It builds confidence. It uh, assures them that God is present and loves them deeply. I would also say it is an opportunity to remind people or to speak the gospel over one another. We have a unique calling, and that is to remind ourselves again and again of the gospel. The story of Jesus bringing his unending love to us. This idea that whatever it is you're trying to do, 
It's already been done. You don't have to strive for it any longer. This declaration of forgiveness that is free to anyone, no matter what, is a really powerful, amazing good news that you get to pass on. And so the gospel is good news because it's free, because it's scandalous, because it's available to anyone regardless. It is also not just partial grace, it is complete and full grace. And you get to be the person reminding someone of that grace. So as they confess, you get to remind them on a regular basis that they are deeply loved by God and nothing they do will ever change that. So I don't want to pretend to know what John 20, 20, or 23 says. I don't totally get it. I'm not going to pretend to know what James 5 says. When we pray this way, then people are confessed and healed. and like I don't get all of it. But what I do know is that when the Spirit is present, the Spirit is moving us towards these moments, moments where we're invited to participate in this divine human cooperative where Holy Spirit brings forgiveness and healing in the midst of us and the others is a pretty profound thing. And the only other time that I really think that same profound thing happens is the moment we're about to participate in. That there is something unique that happens even when it's pieces of bread already ripped apart in Dixie cups with wine, which is a really highbrow way of doing your wine, by the way. Um, when that happens, there's something unique going on between Holy Spirit, us, and the elements that is a reminder of that same gospel I just mentioned. A reminder that is that you've been forgiven, you are deeply loved, there's nothing you could do that will separate you from the love of God, that the Holy Spirit resides in you in a way that is inviting you to participate in this divine human cooperative and to be reminded that the good news of Jesus is for you. You're forgiven. The grace is all yours. Just accept it. Walk into it. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. That's what it's for. These next few moments, we are going to engage in communion, but we're also going to engage in singing. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Uh, so we're going to get a chance to do both of those things. Uh, as the music is going, I invite you to get up as you see fit. No pressure. Over there, there's gluten-free bread as well as bread packed with gluten. Uh, there is grape juice and also wine. Um, and w the only thing we'd ask is just don't linger over there long. Uh, if you want to take the elements and go into a side room or just back to your uh, place of seating, then that would be great. Let me pray for us as we shift into this. Father, we know that Father, Son, Spirit in a unique way is present in this moment. We also know that as we offer our lives to you and as we partake in the Lord's Supper, that you do this dynamic, unique thing where you remind us again of the good news. You remind us that we are your children you've called us by name and that we are yours and that if we pass through the fire will not be burned if we are in the waves we will not be drowned that whatever it is we're going through that you are in the midst of it with us that we are your children help us to feel that recognize that sense that experience that this morning 
And as we sing, may the words of our heart and the meditation of our minds like echo to you the worship we feel. And may you be honored and glorified by receiving that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.